Please rise for the reading of God's Word, Romans chapter 16, verse 13. Hear now God's Word. Paul writes at the end of this epistle, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. And thus far the reading of God's Word and all God's people said. So this statement that Paul writes as uh, the salutation in the book of Romans to salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine, uh, could be taken in one of two ways. It could mean that Paul had two distinct women in mind, the mother of Rufus and his own mother, Paul's mother. Or he could be saying, I salute Rufus and his mother, who is like a mother to me. And if that's what he meant, and I think many do believe that's what he meant, then it raises some interesting speculation. When and where did Paul meet Rufus's mother? Did she nurse him through some serious illness, or did she receive him into her home for perhaps an extended stay during his missionary journeys? I'm thinking of in Acts where Paul and others were assembling in John Mark's mother's house, Mary's house. Uh, and we have other examples of this in the scriptures. So no one knows for sure who this remarkable woman was who served at least as a mother figure for the Apostle Paul. But it really doesn't matter since what he writes makes, uh, I believe, an excellent foundation for a Mother's Day sermon. Many of us have had these kinds of extended mothers as well as Uh, For example, uh, an aunt or a grandmother or a friend's mother or a neighbor. I learned a few years ago uh, that that CPS has a term for this called fictive kin. Uh, You might not be blood-related, but you may as well be. This person is so close and fills that role. Sometimes it's a person who does that temporarily or just in a particular situation, and sometimes... It's someone who does this over an extended period of time. And so today, we want to give thanks to God, or as Paul puts it, we want to salute all of the faithful mothers. We want to be grateful to God for these gifts. Now, I want to begin with a disclaimer. I am fully aware that Mother's Day is not a holy day. It's not prescribed in Scripture. The only Lord's Day is only the Lord's Day is a holy day, the first day of each week. And yet God has also taught us that it is proper to pay special honor to special people, and therefore it is good to have occasionally a special day to make that proclamation, a, a, a sort of national liturgy, if you will, to remind us and to bring our attention back to that. So in Romans 1 8, Paul says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the world. So in particular, Scripture commands us to honor our mothers. Exodus 20, Ten Commandments, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Or in Leviticus 19.3, every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and keep my Sabbaths, I am Yahweh your God. Deuteronomy 5.16, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, 
that your days may be long and that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Ephesians 6, 2 through 3, Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Moreover, in a nation, our nation in particular, that is increasingly forgetting its own Christian heritage, I am grateful for any remnants of biblical practice that remain embedded in our culture, and we should encourage those. We should welcome those and be thankful for those as much as possible. Now, there can be another problem with preaching to mothers, uh, and that would be syrupy sentimentality. Ah, me mother. The thought of her brings a tear to my eye. That's my best Scottish accent, sorry. (laughs) Perhaps a sweet poem I found, a love cake for mother. One can of obedience, several pounds of affection, one pint of neatness, some holiday, birthday, and everyday surprises, one can of running errands, the willing brand, one box of powdered get up when I should, One bottle of keep sunny all day long. One can of pure thanksgiving. Mix well, bake in in hearty warm oven and serve to mother every day. She ought to have it in big slices. Now, at that point, we should all be diabetics. The Bible forbids flattery. The scriptures say that the Lord will cut off flattering lips. I don't want this sermon to be like one of those portable signs that we see sometimes, unfortunately, out in front of churches that say something like, God couldn't be everywhere, and that's why he made mothers. So uh, we're not going to do that. Unfortunately, motherhood, though, is often overlooked and even despised today by feminists who look down at stay-at-home moms or by abortion, which is now considered normal by many, mainstream, if you will, or simply by materialism, women who are more concerned about things than they are their children. Or, on the other side of this, mothers who are simply taken for granted by children, by husbands, or by society. So as always, we are driven to the scriptures to find out the only proper view of our subject. What should we think of mothers? Should we honor them? Should we think the same of all mothers? And what does God expect of mothers? And so we're going to look at four areas here today. The dignity of the position of motherhood the duties of the position, and the dangers of the position, and the delights of the position. First, the dignity of this position. Dignity is the quality or state of being worthy, of of having the worth, uh, of honor, esteem, high rank or office or position. Now I ask you this. What's more worthy of honor and esteem? The one who labors in the sight of all, knowing that they will receive recognition and praise? Or the one who labors tirelessly with no expectation of immediate reward? 
A faithful mother certainly occupies a position, an office, if you will, of great dignity, and she does so for reasons that run counter to what the world says is important. Jesus taught us that many who are last shall be first. There is dignity in the position in that it is often performed in secret, behind the scenes. We can read about many men and women who perform great works before the public eye. We read about soldiers and politicians and writers and artists and heroes, many who have turned the course of history. But thousands of soldiers and thousands of heroes have never been written about and are no less worthy of our praise. Scripture assures us that God values the secret things. Matthew 6 tells us that in giving and praying, God sees the secret things and blesses accordingly. In 1 Peter 3, God says that he finds the hidden person of the heart to be precious in his sight, valuable in his sight. Many who are unworthy are recognized, and many who are unrecognized are worthy. There is dignity in the position because it is a position of service or ministry. Scripture places a premium on humility and selflessness. Proverbs 15.33, before honor becomes uh, comes humility. Matthew 23.12, whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. And so a faithful mother has more than enough opportunities to demonstrate both. There are few things more humbling than motherhood. From childbirth to dirty diapers to nursing sick children and preparing meals, doing without so the children can have, shuttling kids from here to there, washing clothes, cleaning house, disciplining and training continually. Children, you have no idea. No idea of how much your mother does for you every day. Faithful motherhood is indeed a position of honor. Jesus said, whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant. There is dignity in the position in that it is vital and it's a vital and important position. The mother is the guardian and the guide, especially in the early years. Those are the most important years, like the tender young plant that needs special care if it's going to grow up and be healthy later and bear fruit. From the mother comes one of the most powerful influences in a man or woman's formation of character. The outcome of this necessary labor makes an impact on our world that is beyond compare. It's going to determine how safe our streets are. It will determine how loving or cruel the next generation of families will be. It will determine the course of our nation and of our world. And as God has seen fit to generally use the home and especially the mother as a means of sanctification, it will determine in large measure the population of heaven and hell. There is dignity in the position in that it finds a parallel in the person of Jesus Christ. He came not to 
be served, but to serve. He washed the disciples' feet. He laid down his life for his friends. He humbled himself under the mighty hand of God, denying himself. He gave himself for the church. He was vital. He was important. And without him, we had no hope. God the Father was pleased to use Christ as the means of our salvation. And so this position of motherhood is one full of dignity. Second, the duty of the position. God has loaned his children to us, to parents, and parents will give an account to God. And mothers, God has given you the sacred trust of these children. Psalm 127.3, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Now what will you do with that which God has loaned to you? God has placed certain duties upon this gift. As a helper to your husband or, or as the sole head of your household, you are to be a provider. Physically, 1 Timothy 5.8, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Proverbs 31, she looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She is like a mer- like merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it's still night and gives food to her household. All of her household is clothed with scarlet She looks well to the ways of her household, and she does not eat the bread of idleness. You have a duty to feed them, to clothe them, to shelter them, to nurse them. Emotionally and spiritually, you have this duty as well. According to Titus 2.4, one of the things that older women are to teach younger women is how to love their children. And remember, love is about sacrifice. How to sacrifice. You must provide affection, concern, kindness, and comfort. And if these don't come from mothers, where are they going to come from? What better place to observe the fruit of the Spirit than under the shadow of a godly mother? And so, mothers, you must pray. Who, more than a mother, knows how best to pray for her children? who, more than a mother, will pray more fervently. Charles Spurgeon said this, How can I ever forget when she bowed her knee and with her arms about my neck prayed, Oh, that my son might live before thee. Nor can her frown be effaced from my memory when she rebuked my budding iniquities and her smiles have never faded from my recollections in the beaming of her countenance when she rejoiced to see some good thing in me toward the Lord of Israel. He continues, Then came a mother's prayer, and some of the words of that prayer we shall never forget, even when our hair is gray. I remember on one occasion her praying this, Now, Lord, if my children go on in their sins, it will not be from ignorance that they perish. And my soul must bear a swift witness against them at the day of judgment if they lay not hold of Christ. Mothers, you're to be a teacher. 
Faithful mothers change the world. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 31.1, the words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. I want to read a little longer story here. I remembered it as I was working on this sermon. From R.L. Dabney's uh, discussions, um, uh, he was a Presbyterian minister in the 1800s, and... uh, he wrote this story. So he said, A church was rejoicing with its new pastor uh, in an ingathering of souls. A bit of a revival, if you will, is going on. A lot of people being converted. And among the converts was one whose appearance was so surprising that it filled them with wondering gratitude. The subject was a man of the world who had lived past middle life, far from Christ and good. He was a man of inherited wealth and social position, generous and profuse, profane when irritated, a sportsman, a keeper of thoroughbred horses, a a frequenter of all scenes of gaiety and worldly amusements which were not low. This man now suddenly manifested a solemn interest in divine things, was constant in God's house, and was found before long sitting like a contrite child at the feet of Jesus. And let it be added here that his afterlife nobly attested to the genuineness of this change. Um, He lived a pure Christian life and devoted philanthropist and died in the faith. There was naturally in the new pastor's heart a curiosity to know how such a surprising and gratifying revolution had been wrought and perhaps a trace of elation as he argued with himself that in this case must be purely a result of pulpit instrumentalities. So when the convert came to confer with the session, he was asked what sermons had been the special means of his awakening. It seemed hard for him at first to apprehend the drift of such a question, but at last he answered very simply that his change was not due to any sermons or recent means, but to his mother. To his mother. She had been dead so long that few remembered what manner of mother he had. She had been in her grave more than 40 years. The oldest elder present had never seen her, had in fact never heard of her. She had died in the bloom of her beauty and maternity when he was a boy of six years. Thus the wonder grew. But he explained that she was a Christian woman, a fruit of the ingathering of Samuel Davies in the colonial days, and she had begun to instruct her oldest born in the truth. He stated that now, if he was Christ, it was the power of those teachings over his infant mind, and especially of the dying scene, which were the true instruments for bringing him back, without which all other instruments would have been futile. When this young mother was about to die, she had gathered her little flock at her bedside, cowering like a cluster of frightened birds before the mighty hunter, Death. She had prayed for and blessed them, and she laid her dying hand upon his brow and had charged him, her firstborn, to fear his mother's God and remember her instructions. That hand had been upon his head, ever since. Through the long years of his worldliness, 
he had felt its touch in the haunts of business as well as in his hours of solitude in the hunt when he was hieing his hounds after the fox on the race field as he cheered his winning horse. And it was this which, at last, had brought him back to God. John Newton, author of Amazing Grace, has a very similar story of his remembering his mother's teaching. He remembered memorizing the passage from the Old Testament, Thou shalt remember that thou was a bondsman, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. It was in the middle of a shipwreck and a storm where he thought he was going to die, and they harpooned him to get him back on the ship that he was converted. And it was because of what his mother had taught him. She had died many years before. So knowledge must be imparted, mothers, and above all, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Cotton Mather said, Before all and above all is the knowledge of the Christian religion that mothers are to teach their children. The knowledge of other things, though it ever be ever so desirable an accomplishment for them, our children may arrive to eternal happiness without those things. But the knowledge of the godly doctrine of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ is of a million times more necessity for them. Remember the faithfulness of Lois and Eunice, Timothy's grandmother and mother we read about in 2 Timothy. First in chapter 1, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, Paul writes, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I recall to remembrance the genuine faith that's in you, Timothy, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is also in you. And in chapter 3 of Second Timothy, but you, Timothy, must continue in the things you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, And that from childhood, from the time you were a nursing babe, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. And so with teaching and training must come discipline. Mothers, those days that seem forever, those endless corrections and spankings and tears and challenges, Puritan John Eliot said, The gentle rod of the mother is a very gentle thing. It will break neither bone nor skin, yet by the blessing of God with it and upon the wise application of it, it would break the bond that binds up corruption in the heart. So this is not an option for loving mothers. The loving mother does not let their child do as he or she pleases. The loving mother has a holy insistence upon her child that they please God. Only a Christian mother can be a truly faithful mother, for she alone can direct the path of her children to eternal provision and safety. And to fall short here is to fall short altogether. And then briefly, two more things here. The dangers of the position... And that is the neglect of these duties is an awful thing. Now, I know no mother here is perfect, and you've failed in any number of ways. 
So that's not the point of this. God is gracious. That's why, when we, that's why we have a long time to raise kids. You failed on Tuesday, repent and start again on Wednesday. You get to do it again and again and again and again. Giving birth to children is not enough. That will make you a mother. But as we talked about in Sunday school today, there's more to being a mother than giving birth. Even providing physically and emotionally is not enough because God demands all the duties of motherhood be fulfilled and to whom much is given, much is required. Sadly, we cannot today salute all mothers. For only faithful mothers are worthy of real honor. Unfaithful mothers are a dishonor to their children, to the world, and to God. On that final day of judgment, they will face the full force of that unfaithfulness. And perhaps they will hear their children say, and I don't remember where this quote came from, I think it may be also from Spurgeon, all this that we have suffered is through you. This is children speaking to their mothers on a day of judgment. You should have taught us the things of God and did not. You should have restrained us from sin and corrected us, and you did not. You were the means of our original corruption and guilt, and yet you never showed any competent care that we might be delivered from it. Woe unto us that we had such a carnal and careless mother, and woe unto you that you had no more compassion and pity than to prevent the everlasting misery of your own children. Wow. Finally, the delight of the position of motherhood. So a faithful mother is worthy of honor. In a day when so many have proved to be unfaithful to their charge, when those devoted to being faithful mothers are scorned, and when faithful mothers and their unseen labor is often ignored, we thank God for you. Indeed, we salute you. We fathers honor you. We express our deep gratitude. And while the little children might not always appreciate you right now, there is coming a time in the words of Proverbs 31 when, they will, when your children will rise up and call you blessed. The faithful mother can delight in the fruit of her labor, Which one of us wouldn't feel a deep sense of satisfaction and success at the successful completion of a long and arduous task? We delight in a work that we've done or in something we've built, but these are nothing compared to a boy or a girl who by the faithful labor of a godly mother have arrived at adulthood fully equipped for service to both God and men. Harvest time is a time of joy. Mothers, Galatians 6, 9 applies here, do not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. All mothers will reap what they sow. Sorrow is the fruit of unfaithfulness, joy the fruit of faithfulness. And so the faithful mother may delight in the, pros- in the prospects of eternity. Then you will enter into his eternal rest. And then you will hear these words. Well done, 
good and faithful servant. So on this Mother's Day, let's all be reminded of these four things, the dignity of this position, the duties, the dangers, and the delights. May you be found faithful to God, to your children, and to your honor. Let's pray. Father, today we salute all of our faithful mothers. They indeed are gifts from your hand and essential foundational servants in your kingdom. You have left us a record in your word of many women who quietly and diligently advanced your kingdom day by day. Women like Sarah and Hagar and Rebecca and Jochebed and Naomi and Hannah and Elizabeth and Mary. Bless all their unseen labors, even as you bless the ministry of Timothy's grandmother and mother, Lois and Eunice, in raising him up in the Holy Scriptures. May the mothers in this church be found faithful to their calling. Lord, use them for your glory and to bring good to the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Cyprian, Cyprian of Carthage, who's from the third century, famously said, You cannot have God for your father unless you have the church for your mother. And Calvin was perfectly willing to affirm that the church is the mother of all Christians indeed. He taught this as was essential for a proper understanding of the Christian life. And I have a couple of quotes from him, and I just think I'm using this because I think he illustrates a principle that Scripture teaches us about the nurturing, caring place that the church is for us as children. So Calvin says, I shall start then with the church into whose bosom God is pleased to gather his sons, not only that they may be nourished by her help and ministry as long as they are infants and children, but also that they may be guided by her motherly care until they mature and at last reach the goal of faith. So that for those to whom he is father, the church may also be mother. And this also And this was so not only under the law, that is the Old Testament, but also after Christ's coming, as Paul testifies when he teaches that we are the children of the new and heavenly Jerusalem. The heavenly Jerusalem, which drives its origin from heaven and dwells above by faith, is the mother of believers. For she has the incorruptible seed of life deposited in her by which she forms us, cherishes us in her womb, and brings us to light. She has the milk and the food by which she continually nourishes her offspring. This is why the church is called the mother of believers. And certainly he who refuses to be a son of the church desires in vain to have God as his father. For it is is only through the ministry of the church that God begets sons for himself and brings them up until they pass through adolescence and reach manhood. This is a title of wonderful and, and of the highest honor. And so we come again. Remember, individually, we are sons, all of us, men and women. We're sons of God. Collectively, we are the bride of Christ, a different picture, a different metaphor, if you will. But we all come again to be fed by our father and also our mother at the Lord's table. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the true saints and especially faithful mothers who have both guarded and delivered the gospel to us. 
who by their lives and testimonies were faithful to their calling. We rejoice in your kind providence, which brought the good news to our ears by any means, and for the Holy Spirit, who opened our hearts to receive so great a salvation. Help us now to live with a view of our mission, to raise our children accordingly with sound biblical instruction and with hearts that love the way of the Lord, that we might embrace your mission and transmit that mission to our children and our children's children so that we might be found standing with all the faithful as we proclaim the good news to all men everywhere. Bless now our resting and our feasting, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good word and work. Amen. Amen.